the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Welcome to the show, my friends, this very, very hot (laughs) July uh, 9th. 2022. It is hot outside, my friends. But welcome to the show. I hope you're inside staying cool. I hope you're somewhere uh, by the water, maybe even uh, staying cool. We've got a great program for you today, my friends. We've got a great program. Got lots of guests. This program was recorded, my friends. These interviews were recorded uh, on Tuesday, uh, or at least most of them, on Tuesday, uh, the 5th, at uh, in Kenny County, Kenny County had a historic uh, press conference, a historic event, where they declared Kenny County, Goliad County, and Terrell County combined to declare uh, an invasion uh, of their communities because uh, they're you know Terrell County and and uh, Kenny County are right by the border, and they are being overrun. Uh, at the same time, you've got Goliad County, which is Victoria, Texas, uh, which is on a main, main thoroughfare between Houston and the border. And uh, they are being uh, overrun by uh, chases, by break-ins. I mean, they are. It, 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 is, it is a nightmare for both counties. And so um, I was at the, uh, out there at the, at the event, and uh, I recorded several several interviews that I did. Uh, Before the, uh, we will do those interviews though, uh, we will have um, a law enforcement expert, uh, Will uh, Moravitz, who uh, is going to chat a little bit about the the war on the police and and the headaches that we've got uh, regarding the uh, repeat offenders, as well as uh, the, the health, the mental health, the general attitude of uh, most police officers at this point, my friends. It's not good. We've got an invasion. We're not checking out who these people are. And then on top of that, we've got a war on the police uh, in our jurisdictions. I, I mean, it's the, perf- it's the perfect storm. Uh, so who are our guests? Well, like I mentioned, we've got uh, Mr. Will uh, Marvitz, who's going to be our first guest. Our next guest after him is going to be Miss Allie Bradley, who is a citizen journalist. She has been covering uh, a lot of the uh, uh, news items regarding the uh, border crisis. She's going to be giving you her perspective uh, as a journalist. We also have a very interesting uh, interview with Miss Carolina uh, Amnesty. Carolina is uh, a candidate for Florida State House. She came all the way from Orlando to the uh, event in Kenny County, and uh, she uh, is going to give you the perspective of what is happening in her backyard in Orlando. You need to hear this, my friends. You need to hear this, how the open border is affecting a community several thousand miles away, okay? Then we've got uh, Sheriff Roy Boyd from Goliad County. That's the uh, community in Victoria, Texas, which is uh, on the corridor between Houston and the border. He's going to be chatting about what he faces. We also have um, Sheriff Calvin Boyd, uh, no relation to Roy Boyd, but Calvin Boyd, who is from Burnett County. Now, Burnett County is uh, north of uh, San Antonio. Again, not close, not close to the uh, uh, border. But uh, again, the impact that is being felt in their community. Then we've got uh, Mr. Victor Avila. Victor is uh, a former Homeland Security investigator. He's going to be chatting uh, with us about what he sees as far as the 
uh, open border, the impact. We've also got um, uh, Mayor Don McLaughlin from Uvalde. Uh, he's going to be telling us what his community right there near the border is, is, is how they're suffering on a daily basis with bailouts, with chases, et cetera, et cetera, with uh, illegal immigration. Our final guest, and this is going to be a good one, is Mr. Brent Smith, the Kenny County attorney who, in my opinion, has authored and begun this whole discussion of, uh, of the border crisis and what counties, local governments need to do about it. So, folks, thank you for joining us today. Sit back and enjoy the, the, the show. Let's go to our first guest. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got uh, our good friend, Mr. Will Murvitz, from uh, uh, a former police officer and author, as well as professor. <laughs> and he, uh, I wanted to get him on because this past weekend, a Fourth of July weekend, there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of shootings all over the place, and um, of course, people calling the police. While at the same time, there is uh, a complete disrespect of police. We've seen it. Uh, we saw it in Chicago, where they there was a shooting at a Fourth of July event, and when the police arrived, people uh, basically attacked them and uh, jumped on their cars smashed windows and whatnot uh here in uh texas we've uh, we've been watching the discussions regarding the uvalde shooting and what's really hypocritical to me is how state senator from san antonio jose melendez uh is carrying on uh about the police uh when he is uh, one of the greatest uh proponents supporters of the idea of uh, defunding the police. And um, so, Will, welcome to the show. Thank you for talking to us. Uh, tell us about this situation, the, the, these community relations problems that we're seeing. Well, you know, I, I think we talk about the Chicago or Highland Park um, July 4th uh, shooting. They got a lot of national attention and then you know, the one that you referenced. You know, Highland Park, for those who may not know, I and mean, that's where Michael Jordan lived when he was in Chicago. It's a very um, wealthy suburb of Chicago. And I think when you are in those types of communities, uh, police get get more support um, because of the, you know, they're generally low crime areas um, that, that the, you know, the people want to see police out and about. But in other communities like the south side of Chicago or the other big cities like Baltimore, I think the rhetoric that is coming from our national politicians on down to, uh, you know, local mayors and, and the district attorneys and things like that, that have been demonizing police for the past seven, eight years at least, it emboldens these people uh, to see them as the enemy. And and so a lot of times now when police show up to help, they can't even do that. Um, the the incident you mentioned is not even the first time I've heard of that happening in Chicago where uh, they come for a stab victim or a, a shooting victim and they're trying to help and the people won't let them because they don't want the police around. And, um, you know, it's it's a really tenuous situation and, and something that flies in the face of, of common sense, you know, and, and, and talking about the Uvalde incident, um, you know, listeners know I, I was born and raised in Uvalde and so I'm very familiar with the people involved like i know a lot of the people personally that that died or that are in police whatever and it, it's such a tragic situation because this is another example where hindsight 2020 you've got people who have never been a cop have never been in an active shooter situation absolutely calling these cops cowards and, and while i think mistakes were made I, you know, I know these people enough to know that it wasn't like they're sitting there scared to go in because they were, you know, they were cowards. It was there, there were other factors, but this is another incident that people are going to look at and and they're going to say, you know, see, police police can't help. They're scared. They're, you know, it, it's just like a, another a brick on the wall that separates, you know, certain communities from the police, and you know, it's it's to the point where, you know, I'm not surprised that as many police officers are resigning or retiring um, as there are because it's just a job that in a lot of places, I don't, I don't know who would want to put up with that. Uh, let me ask you another thing because here locally, very, very interestingly, uh, there have been two uh, reports, two news reports recently. 
The latest one was a couple of days ago, where the San Antonio police police chief, Bill McManus, and I say I call it very bravely, bravely criticized the DA for uh, for for the way that uh, repeat offenders are being let out. Right. Uh, you know, this seems to be the pattern in other communities as well. Uh, your thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that all around the country. It's kind of like the new fad. I think after defund the police, you know, kind of had its had its flashpoint, and you know, kind of kind of gone the other way because we saw the the increase in crime across the country. But now we have this new problem of, of DAs being soft on crime, releasing people. Uh, you know, I, there was one one person who was released after having been arrested a hundred different times and then he goes out and commits a violent felony and you just have to ask yourself you know what is the purpose and, and a lot of it comes i think from uh this focus on social justice like it's it's not the person that we're blaming it's the system right that the, the problem is the system and, and so they're tearing down the system effectively from the top down and all it's doing is is putting more people at risk, putting police officers at greater risk. And the, the, the irony, the irony is the people that are affected the most by these DAs doing this, the, the people that are, are hurting the most from these decisions that DAs do are communities of color uh, because they're disproportionately where crime happens. And, you know, so to, to me, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's like they're trying to appease these, these, you know, liberal elites while ignoring the people they're supposed to be serving. Now, in your research that you've done, um, have police community relations ever been this bad since, uh, you know, since since it started? I mean, I remember, you know, the the term police brutality being thrown around back in the uh, 60s when I was young. But, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, now, I mean, it just seems like there's just general disrespect. Even at well, City you know, Hall. I think I, I think that it, it's changed a little bit. Um, I, I do think that this is the worst it's been probably since I was a kid. I'm 44 years old, so like the mid 80s. But obviously, back in the 60s and and 50s, and you know, in, in certain communities, there was a, a much bigger divide. I think the difference is. Um, you know, back in, let's take the old Jim Crow South, back then, police could get away with a lot of stuff, mistreating people of color, especially black Americans. And because of that, I think a lot of black Americans didn't push back, even though they would have been justified in doing so. Well, today, police aren't out there just indiscriminately targeting black people or Hispanic people or whatever. But there's that divide. And because they see, you know, President Obama, they see, uh, you know, Cory Bush and the squad and all these other Congress people demonizing police. Now they feel emboldened because they're like, you know, we have cameras. You're not going to be able to do anything to me. And I'm just going to push back on you. And, and there's nothing, nothing that you can do to stop, stop me. And that's a real dangerous uh, predicament that we're putting police in because eventually what's going to happen is, is the good cops that want to help people are just going to throw their hands up in the air and they're going to leave. And then what are you left with? You know, you're, you're, you're left with criminals running everything. That's correct. I mean, uh, have do you think that uh, Seattle and uh, Minneapolis have learned anything from defunding the police? Well, it doesn't seem so. I mean, I think I can't remember which cities started to refund the police after that. I think Oakland was one of them. Uh, but but I don't think the people on the ground, the activists, I don't think they've learned anything. I mean, you look at that autonomous zone in Seattle, Chaz, or whatever it was called. The, the amount of crime that went on in there, rape and, and, and theft and, and stuff like that, because they weren't letting police in. I mean, like, how is that productive? Like, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing to your community? It, it, to me, it makes no sense. There's no logical reason uh, to behave this way. But, you know, I think a lot of it comes from those in power, those that have the big bullhorn are, you know, saying these things about police and then it emboldens those at the lower levels, you know, the common person, uh, to, to do the same thing. You got it. Uh, here in the last few minutes, uh, tell us what uh, tell, uh, what uh, inspired you to write your book and uh, the, the theme of it. Well, the book is called The Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America, and it, it's a... The impetus for me to write the book was uh, the death of George Floyd in the summer of 2020 with the worst riots you know, is property damage in American history and, and pretty deadly as well. I think the last I counted, there was like 19 
verify black people that were killed in these riots. So presumably their black lives didn't matter. Um, but, you know, to me, it was not to defend Derek Chauvin, because if you read my book, I don't defend him. But it was just this general theme that was coming out of it, that, that, that black people were being hunted by police or indiscriminately killed by police. And I knew from a decade or so of research that I had done and then piggybacking on research that other people like Heather McDonald and some have done, that that just wasn't true. And so I wanted to, I, I felt like I had a unique voice being a scholar and also an ex-cop that I could go forward and kind of explain things to people uh, about use of force, about the reality of these particular shootings, uh, and then just hit them with facts at the end to where they can see that this media narrative uh, is not true and it's verifiably you know, disproven by multiple different studies and, and data sets. The, um, you know, uh, what do you tell someone nowadays that, A, wants to be a police officer or one that wants to leave the, the police, uh, you know, is frustrated as a police officer? What can you possibly say to somebody like that? Well, for someone that wants to join, um, I would recommend them join, joining a relatively mid-sized town or smaller um, because you're going to get more support um, in those communities. Um, New Braunfels, where I live, is still, I mean, obviously you're going to have pockets of people that, that don't like the police, but in general uh, the police get quite a bit of support here. Uh, for those that are, re, you know, want to leave or retiring, I mean, it, I mean, I don't think I'm in the position to tell anybody what, what's best for them and their families, but you know, I, I know for me personally, that if I was a police officer in some of these cities, I would just decide that, that you know that my my personal safety, my family's safety, um, is more important, um, and, and just you know move or retire, find another profession, or do do what a lot of these cops are doing. Apparently, is moving to Florida, where Governor DeSantis is welcoming them with open arms. <laughs> um, yes. You know, because I think that makes a huge difference when you have support of the community. That makes all the difference in the world. And so many of our cities, you just don't have that anymore. And and so I. I don't fault any officer for leaving um, those positions. Oh, man, that it's really tragic. It's really tragic. Yeah, it's tell, very, tell, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said very much so. Very yeah. much so. Uh, tell the folks where they can read read your book, and uh, let's, get you, let's get you back on sometime soon. Sure. Um, well, the book is available on Amazon, Target, Walmart.com. You know, it's available in Kindle or ebook and uh, paperback and hardback. So, again, that's a, the Blue Divide, Policing and Race in America. And, you know, check it out. You got it. Once again, my friends, we were talking with our good friend, Mr. Will Norvitz. And, uh, Will, you take care, and we'll be back. We'll get you back on again sometime soon. All right. Sounds good, George. Thank you. Have a great day. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, George Rodriguez and Conservador talking to you from noisy uh, Brackettville. And uh, we've got a new guest with us. Uh, she is an independent journalist who is covering the border border crisis issues and i wanted to get her on and ask her uh what her perspective is what has she learned what is she because she's coming to us from washington state give me your name and uh you're an independent journalist right? yeah yeah thanks for having me my name is ali bradley i've been covering this since august right before the del rio haitian crisis that we witnessed and uh what what is your perspective what are you seeing what have you learned about this crisis that we're looking at here I would say when I first started covering this back in August, there was a clear pathway for people that were coming through, through the holes in the border. They were, from what I could tell, the majority were asylum seekers. They would come over, they would fall to the ground, they would praise God, they would be crying, they would be disheveled, they would be devastated. And that was at the early on onset of all of this, really. We saw that surge really start in March. So this was just a couple months later. And since then, we have seen, from what I can tell, they come across, they have brand new clean clothing, they are laughing and smiling and working with Border Patrol and National Guard, and they are expecting to be helped once they get over here, which is completely different than what I witnessed about 11 months ago. Now, you went all the way to Tapachula. What did you see in Tapachula down in the southern end of Mexico? What was interesting is when I was down in Tapachula, we had departed with about 5,000 migrants uh, in a caravan that had been orchestrated through Luis Villagran and Irneo Mujica, which are the cast of characters, the normal ones we see leading these caravans. 
And they had actually had QR codes on Facebook for these family members to sign up for. And they wanted it to be heavy women and children because they did not want the National Guard to stop them or to create any kind of altercations. And they called it the March of the Children. It was a majority women and children. And when we were down there, it was really interesting because they carried banners that said Joe Biden is for all. They carried an American flag with no stars because they said America is for everybody. And as they walked, they chanted and cheered for their own countries. And I often asked, why not stay and fight for your countries? And they said they want the American dream. They said that America is the only ones that can take care of them. I said, why not stay in Mexico? And they said, because Mexico did not take care of us. And they said, America's their only hope. America's their only, you know, the, the stars in their eyes, right, for the American dream. And that's what they want. And I said, but everything's all relative. I'm staying in a hotel for $20 a night. And if I go over to Seattle, it's going to be $400 a night. And they said, the labor and the money isn't worth it there. So they wanted to come here to work. And they knew we needed workers, is what they told us. And they said, they said, Joe Biden, let us in. We know you need people to work. We know you have a labor shortage. And that was a very common narrative that came from a lot of them. But they, a lot of them also had asylum claims, too. You know, a lot of them were from Venezuela and were a family I talked to was a, a retired police officer who they tried to recruit to be, you know, in gangs and things like that when it turned corrupt in Venezuela. And he did have what I could tell would be a viable asylum claim here in our country. But I met so many people that had been deported two or three times already from our country and they were economic migrants and I said do you think that you're going to have a chance at asylum and they said well I mean might as well try we're leaving nothing trying for something the worst case scenario is we go back to nothing this uh, this idea of entitlement do you think that that's uh, a, a real uh, concern that should be a real concern to us because I mean if we're we have enough people that think that they're entitled to something and now we're going to import more? I think, I don't know if it's necessarily the entitlement issue that will become more of a problem for us here in America. As much as it is the messaging that's getting down the line, a lot of them think that they're invited here. A lot of them really do think that that they're needed. And so they come over like, hey, we're ready to work. We're here to work. You know, so it's the messaging, I think, that's more problematic than it is the entitlement. Thank you very, very much for uh, telling folks where they can where they can follow you. Yeah, Allie Bradley TV across all the platforms. Um, and I have IOTA Media is my own kind of little news organization that's on Instagram if you want to follow my news content there. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got a new guest with us, Miss uh, Carolina. Amnesty, and she is from Orlando, Florida. We are here at in Bracketville for a meeting regarding the issue of uh, uh, immigration. But uh, she is here, and I wanted to ask her a couple of things. I wanted to, first of all, welcome her to the show. Welcome to South Texas. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here in Texas. Uh, Caroline, the first thing that I want to ask you is, first of all, what brought you to this uh, to this meeting today? So now I'm a candidate for Florida House District 45 in the state of Florida, and I'm highly concerned of what's going on at the border. And I said, you know what? I see the news. I hear what's going on, but I want to see it face-to-face, eye-to-eye, and witness exactly what's going on and the issues, the problematics that we're facing as a country when it comes down to our national security. What have you learned? What have you seen so far? That, that you've been so far, um, we see a state that is right now under invasion. We see that there's a crisis at our border, that there's a federal crisis, that the cartels are taking over, and that right now the current administration, the Biden administration, is doing nothing to really stop this crisis. Our country right now is at crisis. There needs to, something needs to be done. And as, your, as a state legislator in the state of Florida, I will ensure that we protect our state, and I hope that the legislators here in Texas protect our territory. Let me ask you uh, about the uh, your backyard in Orlando, because we've been hearing a lot about what's going on with Disney. Uh, I even saw a cartoon. I don't know if it was a cartoon or if it was meant. What I don't know what it was meant to, to depict, but Mickey Mouse in a dress. What is going on in Disney World and uh, with Orlando? Well, it's quite insane. I mean, the, the industry that really employs a lot of people in Central Florida that has brought hospitality and tourism to our region is now getting involved in politics. And they're at the borderline of really losing their exemption um, from the state of Florida because the fact that they're getting involved in our politics they're getting involved in our school's education sector. They're telling our parents, um, hey, you don't have rights to come in to learn what your child is being taught at school. They're telling teachers that they need to 
talk about gender ideology, uh, gender identity to kids that are six, seven, eight, nine years old. This is insane. And as a state legislator in the state of Florida, I will ensure that these big woke corporations don't get involved in our education. They can make prosperous job growth. They can bring opportunity, tourism, but not don't mess with our kids. Don't mess with their education. This situation of a big corporation in a community, I mean, it uh, economically, it is a uh, 900-pound gorilla, so to speak. Uh, how are you guys handling that? Because, I mean, it would seem like they would try to push their, their weight around. Yeah, they're trying to push that agenda, but as a state legislator, uh, God willing, if uh, elected by the people, I will work very hard to be that sound. I mean, it's common sense. Disney, we love what you do in, in the region. We love the opportunity, the job growth, the hospitality, the tourism. Stay to that. Don't get involved in our children's education. Don't indoctrinate our kids. Don't talk about gender ideology. That's up to the parent. That's up to the child. The parent is the maximum authority over their child, not Disney. Gotcha. Anything that you'd like to tell us before you leave, before we leave you? Yes. Well, as a state legislator, God willing, elected by the people, I will work very hard to ensure that we protect our country, that we protect every Floridian, and that we really preserve the American dream. The American dream requires law and order, and people that are coming to our country need to come here the, the right way, the legal way. We have to protect our border, and I will defend it, I will protect it, and I will work very hard, nonstop, to ensure that we care for our national security. Excellent. Tell the folks where they can follow you and where they might be able to donate. Yes, they can follow me at OakCarolina.com or ElectCarolina on Instagram and Twitter. God bless you. Thank you very much. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you. And we're here in Brackettville uh, on uh, Tuesday, uh, July the 5th. Uh, we're here at this event, this uh, press conference that's going to take place. And there are several folks uh, from uh, the surrounding area. We've got um, uh, County Judge uh, Dale Carruthers from Terrell County, which is Sanderson, Texas, West Texas, if anybody uh, is poor for those fo those folks in New York and in D.C. who are listening to us. And uh, we also have uh, Sheriff uh, Thaddeus Cleveland, uh, who is the sheriff in uh, Terrell County. And I wanted to ask them uh, what brought them to this event, what, uh, what is going on in their backyard, as well as what brought them to this event. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Judge uh, Carruthers. What is going on in your community that brought you to this event? Okay, my community has 91 miles of border that is being inundated by uh, illegals crossing. Our terrain is very rugged, so we're here to discuss, you know, the downside of uh, what we're experiencing and show our support with to the other judges as well as Texas. Now, again, for our folks in uh, in other states that are listening to us, uh, Sanderson, Terrell County is uh, far, far west Texas. Picture. Uh, picture a desert, picture a uh, uh, lonesome dove ranch, uh, that's, uh, that's what it is. So people crossing that area uh, would either go undetected because it's so vast, or uh, they could get themselves in trouble because it's so hot lately. Absolutely. We own a ranch that butts up against uh, the border and uh, Highway 90, it's 17,000 acres spread. And they're constantly trespassing on our property, destroying the fence line and also our water line. Um, they, they leave a wake of trash everywhere, you know, everywhere you can imagine. And unfortunately, we do find people that perish in the desert due to the elements. So it is pretty, pretty harsh, just like you said. And uh, the, the people that come across, once they hit Highway 90, then it's on. And we usually have high pursuits uh, on Highway 90. Um, Sheriff, uh, tell us about what you confront. In, uh, in First of all, tell us how many square miles you've got to be responsible for and how many deputies you've got to work with. Right. So uh, about 3,000 square miles. Uh, Terrell County, as you get in that western portion of Texas, you know, all the counties are big. Um, as the judge mentioned, 91 miles of border with Mexico. Um, and, and as you hit it, the nail on the head, whether it's uh, the rough terrain to cross, um, the roughs along the 2,000-mile border with Mexico, uh, and then you get to the, the elements. And as the judge said, you know, the, the, the heat, the cold, uh, just in the past month that I've been sheriff. So as I mentioned to you, I retired 26 years with the Border Patrol. 
um, we're starting to see deaths unlike we've ever seen before. And any loss of life is tragic. So in, in the first month that was sheriff, we had six deaths, unprecedented. Typically in, in a year, we'll see maybe one, one death a, a year. Now we're seeing them monthly. Um, and those are the ones that you find. Those, exactly. Those are the ones we find. We, we receive calls. Often we go out, we look, we search. There's often times we don't even find the bodies. So, and again, those are just ones we're alerted to. Um, but you, you talked a little bit about, you know, historical numbers. And, and historically, our part of Texas it hasn't been a lot of activity. Um, it's not like the Rio Grande Valley. It's not like California, Arizona, where you have large quantities. Um, but what we do have is we have people that don't want to get caught. They're not looking for a, a political status, a, asylum, or whatever the case may be. They're looking to continue to get away, to go undetected. So that's what, what we contend with. And then in addition to that, historically, we catch about 1,000 a month. Um, again, I've been the patrol agent in charge of the Sanderson Station the last 11 years. But last year, again, numbers unprecedented, 5,500 apprehensions. Um, that's just what we caught. Uh, many more gotaways because of the detection um, capabilities that we do not have within the Border Patrol. Um, we're starting to get a little bit, but it's not like anywhere else because, again, um, it's just a drop in the bucket to other places. But it is important to us. Uh, this year, we, we anticipate those numbers to be equally uh, to that 5,500, if not more. Let me ask you this because, you know, uh, I was at INS way back when they used to run away from us. <laughs> and uh, you, have, you worked in the Border Patrol. What do you see as the difference in uh, the way that uh, these uh, illegal aliens, and I'll use that term, uh, these folks uh, are reacting or their numbers as to what uh, you've seen in the past when uh, in, your, in your time of, uh, of, as a Border Patrol agent. Totally different. So, uh, again, uh, having grown up in the community, like Judge Carruthers of Sanderson, a historically adult men looking to come work, earn some money, work on a ranch, go back, back to the country, and then come back. Now we're not, we're not seeing that. We're seeing people coming to, to stay, coming to be undetected. They're not coming to the immediate border area to work on a ranch. They're looking to go into their cities. We deal with them for maybe a day or two because they're transient, but really the, it's the, the inner cities that are having to deal with them, San Antonio, places like that. Correct. And, uh, and when you catch someone, you turn them over to the Border Patrol, and then what? We do. So fortunately, you know, and to take politics out of it, Border Patrol, we've never been restricted from. We still catch people. Our, our jobs have not changed. Um, you are starting to see where some people are starting to be released. However, uh, in Sanderson, um, Carroll County, those that we apprehend, we're still able to turn back to Mexico. Uh, Judge, what do you hope to hear here? What do you hope needs to happen? We need to secure the border. All the small communities alongside the border like mine are compromised. We have the most to lose and the least to offer. So we need help from the higher-ups, so to speak. How do your citizens feel? Um, they worry. They have a lot that they've lost already. The ranching community cannot keep up with the damages that have happened to their ranches. And so it's tragic. It's, it's, we have high-speed chases in the middle of the night and a small community of less than 1,000 people. So the community is very sensitive. You know, they support the law enforcement, but on the same note, they're very, they're very worrisome, you know, when it comes to this situation. Thank you very much. Anything that you'd like to add before we let you go? I, I know you asked how many deputies we had, and I missed that question earlier. So we have myself and, and two other deputies. Uh, to cover how many miles? Uh, over three, 91 miles of border, but 3,000 square okay. miles. But with that, uh, through some of the governor's initiatives, we do have some funding to hire some additional deputies, which we'll be doing. So that, that is a, really a That's good. Um, but I also like to always say it doesn't matter if you're red or blue, Republican or Democrat, the, the problem is solvable. It's just people don't want to work to solve it. So that's it. Thank you very, very much. Howdy, 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 folks. Once again, George Rodriguez on El Conservador talking to you from beautiful Brackettville, Texas. And we're here for this uh, event uh, that's uh, going to be an announcement regarding uh, the invasion, literally using that word, the invasion of uh, the United States, uh, specifically this area here. Uh, with illegal uh, immigration. And uh, I've got uh, my good friend, uh, Sheriff Roy Boyd from uh, Travis County, and I wanted to, Goliad County, excuse me, from Goliad County. And uh, I wanted to, <laughs> and I wanted to ask him uh, to tell us what, uh, what uh, brings him here and what he is seeing regarding illegal immigration in his backyard. Well, the reason we're down here in uh, Brackettville today is uh, uh, we're here. Goliad County and Kenny County have worked together since the beginning of uh, 
of this mass uh, invasion of Texas uh, through Mexico. We've come down here to join hand-in-hand with Kennedy County officials in their declaration of an invasion of the state of Texas. This is the uh, escalation from the local government uh, standpoint uh, with regards to what is going on, because what we're seeing is a drastic uptick in illegal immigration and cartel activities throughout our counties. Now, I was talking to the um, uh, one of the visiting uh, folks from, from uh, Florida, and they were telling me that... Um, it, not only is it uh, illegal alien criminals, illegal aliens in general who are not being checked for diseases, but the issue of fentanyl. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? You have to remember that the exact same groups that are bringing in these uh, illegal aliens who they are putting into bondage within our own country are the same groups that are bringing in fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, uh, marijuana, different drugs. So the drugs that are that are negatively impacting our society are being brought here by the same cartels that are bringing these slaves into our country. What do you hope uh, will come out of this? Because there's a lot of media here today. Well, what we would like to see is we'd like to see a more definitive action. We know that the governor is doing uh, what, uh, in a measured response, what he has been able to do. I think it's time that we ratchet things up. We're going to have to, we're going to have to find a better solution for this because once these folks come into this country, they have a beachhead. They're not going anywhere. The federal government wants them here. So in reality, the only way to stop this is to make Mexico stop it. And the only way to do that is through economic pressure. And we're hoping that the state of Texas will eventually decide to bring Mexico to their knees with the economic pressure that is, uh, that is ours to, to bear against them. You got it. Once again, my friends, we've been speaking with our good friend, Sheriff Roy, Roy Boyd from uh, Goliad County, Texas. Thank you, sir. God bless you, and you have a great day. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from uh, Brackettville on uh, Tuesday. And uh, we've got uh, another sheriff, Sheriff Calvin Boyd from Burnett County. For those of you that do not know, that's north of San Antonio, up uh, into the Highland Lakes, Hill Country area. And a beautiful little community. But uh, I wanted to get him on and ask him, because he's not near the border, Sheriff, what brought you here and what uh, what have you learned? I was kind of down here for support. Uh, we have all of my all of my voters are very concerned about the board. I hear about it every single day, and uh, they feel they feel betrayed. And of course, they, they turn to their elected officials to help them, which we should. That's what we're supposed to do. So we're going to have to start looking at other options. And and this is. You know, hopefully this one will pan out. If not, we're going to do something else because obviously the federal government is not going to take care of the, this border situation. Now, you're up there near Travis County, a very liberal county. Is uh, is the uh, illegal immigration and, and uh, drug smuggling impacting on your community at all yet? We've had we've had more safe houses. You know, uh, people reporting safe houses. Uh, some of the restaurants and stuff. You know, they're dropping they're dropping the uh, Illegals off at the at the restaurants and stuff like that. Uh, mainly, what our our largest concern is the school district. Obviously, you know it's added to the school district also, and also our medical facilities. And uh, but my biggest thing is 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 my my voters are very concerned about it, and we need to do something. Uh, we are a long way from the border. I was a I'm a retired state trooper, and so I worked the border quite a bit. And, and one of the things I always tell people is you have to go see it. You have to go look at it. You can't, you can't get it off the news. You can't get it off the pictures off the news. It's, uh, it's something you really need to come see. And I think people would understand more. Thank you very much. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you. And we're here at Brackettville, and we've got uh, an, another uh, very important, uh, knowledgeable person. Mr. Victor Avila, who used to be... Victor, what were you, the DEA agent? I know, I was a Homeland Security Investigation Special Agent under yeah. ICE. And uh, tell us, what, what have you learned? What did you hear about here today that uh, kind of impressed you? Well, I definitely wanted to come and stand in solidarity with our sheriffs to show them uh, show them the support that they much, much need right now. We need to stand behind our sheriffs and get the community of Texas behind them to get our governor to go, do, do this official declaration of invasion. I'm here to do that because that's at, that's at the point that we're at now, George. We're at the point where we must now do things that are outside the box that have never been done before. Why? Because this has never happened before. We're under an invasion of millions of people, 
and we need to now do things that are differently. And one of those is to adopt the invasion of the, both the state co- constitution and the, uh, the United States Constitution, Texas and the United States Constitution, and stop and finally secure the border. Because if you secure the border, you will actually save lives. Let me ask you, because this is a question that... Uh is being raised a lot because nobody's talking about it in, in, in the San Antonio media, in my opinion. The 53 people that died recently, do you think they would have uh, been better had they waited and come in the right way, the legal way? I could tell you right now that I could make a very strong argument that those individuals would be alive today if that border was secure. Because it's wide open, they are now uh, open to the cartel abuse, the... Uh, being put in the back of these tremendous conditions where they die, drownings, everything else, assaults, rapes, you name it. So it's not the other way around. It's not what people think. If you open it, everybody's going to be fine. No, it's actually really the opposite that you're hurting people. It's not humanitarian what's happening right now. We're losing people, kids, children, and they're dying. Let's not even talk. What about the fentanyl and the hundreds of thousands of deaths with fentanyl poisonings all over the country? Let me tell you, what about those uh, those families, those angel moms and angel dads that have lost their loved ones at the hands of a violent act of an illegal alien? What do you say to them? This is real. And I like what the sheriff said today. What's going on today is, is real. It's really not a political thing. This affects everyone in our state and the rest of the country. And I'm, I'm glad to be here with you because we're doing something. We want to be able to be able to show that we are uh, uh, standing behind them. Because we need people to stand behind our sheriffs. They do not have the resources. They do not have uh, the manpower, the, the, the economic impact to do something to their counties. And that's why they're, they're, they feel the invasion. And we must help them and step up. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with our good friend, Victor Avila. Uh, Victor, stay safe. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Howdy, folks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from Brackettville. And uh, we've got a very special guest with us. He's been on our show before, Mayor Don McLaughlin from uh, Uvalde, Texas. And I wanted to get his point of view of what uh, he heard and saw here at this meeting uh, regarding uh, the declaration of invasion and the um, and, uh, and, and the uh, illegal immigration problem, border crisis that we've got. Before I turn it over to you, let me tell you that as I was, I have been caught up in two or three car chases in outside, right outside Uvalde, uh, going on. So what's, what's your thoughts about this, uh, this idea here, Mayor? Well, look, we're going to have to address this border issue. We keep kicking the can, you know, and saying we have a secure border and that we don't have a secure border. You know it, I know it, and so does, so does the federal government. But, I mean, you know, we're back to the pursuits coming through Uvalde. We're back to, to the bailouts in Uvalde. And, you know, we're 45 days starting school. And with the tragedy that happened, and we're going to start going, and then we're going to have to start putting schools on lockdown, how traumatic is that going to be for these kids in that? So that's one of the things I wanted to be here today that to, to voice my opinion on that and to voice that we need to, we need to do something about this border. I hope the governor, I wish the governor would call it an invasion of the southern border because that's what it is. The only people that... You know, that are enriching themselves off this is the cartels. One of the one of the interesting things now that you raised the issue of the of the shooting was that my understanding was that when there when there was the chase and a bailout, people thought uh, that uh, it was another illegal immig- alien uh, bailout and and chase that was going on. That was the first impression that everybody got until the second call came in and talked about a man with a gun. Yeah. So I mean. It's it's a bad situation with that you're getting you that when people start getting that used to it uh, in your in your community is not. Well, you got to figure in the last year and a half that school been on lockdown. Those schools have been on lockdown fifty times and just in March alone. That school has been on lockdown four times. Uh, Mayor, so uh, are you hopeful of what what you heard today? I am. I'm hopeful the governor will listen. At least in more county, I believe more counties are going to sign on with this. Uh, I think there were some more that were supposed to be here that couldn't be here today. They're going to sign on. But look, it's time that we stood up and said, hey, enough's enough. Let's take care of Texas. Because like I said, like these men said, it affects us today, but it's going to affect these other states tomorrow. They're coming that way. And look, we can do, we want to do legal immigration. I mean, immigration, let's do it legally, right through the front door. Let's know who you are, whatever. Thank you very, very much. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you. We're still here in in, uh, Kenny County. And uh, I've got, uh, I 
I mean, what I would consider the brains of this operation here, uh, it, we, you know, Kenny County has been has been the lead in uh, this whole effort to uh, for local government to stand up to this invasion, and now there's a declaration of calling it an invasion. Uh, the uh, county attorney, uh, Brent Smith, and Brent has been, in my opinion, very humbly speaking, uh, the uh, the proponent that has led the fight. Brent, what? Uh, Tell us about this declaration. What is it all about? How is it going to work? Well, the declaration is something given to each county on the Texas local government code where they can issue a state of disaster or a local state of disaster pertaining only to their county. And, you know, we did one a while back when this invasion first started. And, um, you know, up to words of 34 counties or so joined it, which then, you know, Abbott declared a state of invasion. But uh, so this is only yeah emergency, and so this is only for you know Kenny County by itself. But as you saw here tonight, there's several other counties that have adopted it, and the template has gone out to um, that I've drafted went out to other counties already who's plan on also adopting it as well. So I I expect to see thirty you know or so counties adopt this same declaration of invasion. Um, you know, and the reason we did it was because the border crisis isn't getting any better. It's getting me much worse, in fact. Our numbers this year, as Sheriff Coe previously stated, are three times the number it were last year. We thought it could have getting worse last year, but it is. Our residents are getting robbed, you know, shot at, driving down the highways, you, you name it. Um, and so this is a, something that counties can do, local officials can do, to put their representatives in Austin on notice that something more needs to be done. And that's exactly what this is. It, does it create a constitutional authority for the counties to act? No. But it, it, it does... What it does do is gives the politicians that can act notice that this is an invasion. We're declaring it as such. And that's why your local um, elections are so important because depending on who your county judge is, you know, depends on whether your county judge will do it. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure that there are counties like in Bear County that uh, they're, they're not going to follow suit. No, of course not. Of course not. It doesn't fit their agenda, even though they can see on the ground what's actually happening. And uh, but, you know, there's other counties and I've, I've been in contact with counties in Lubbock, San Angelo area, all throughout Texas that are going to be doing this soon. And so that's what we start try to start here today. Um, you know, it's the first time in Texas history that a county has declared an invasion. And so what we hope to do is get Ken Paxton to issue his opinion that he has drafted. And Texas can't wait a long, can't wait two more years for Biden to be removed. We won't be here. This nation will be totally different in that time. So that's what we're hoping to do with this is get other counties on board and, um, you know, force our politicians to act and to protect Texas. Again, tell the folks the size of the county, the population of the county, and how many people you've counted coming through. Well, the county itself is, you know, a little over 3,000 people. Um, it's mainly ranches and ag land. And... Um, you know, we have 17 miles of border with Mexico, but a lot of our traffic comes out of Maverick County and Valverde. It doesn't all come through the border that we have. It's it, Our county is like a funnel for Maverick and Valverde County. Um, you know, so far, um, just last month alone, we documented 4,000 illegal aliens that we got on camera. And, you know, when you get one on camera, there's usually five, six others along with them. Those are the only ones we got on camera, 4,000. So the, the actual numbers of everyone who crossed I, I believe would easily be 9,000, 10,000 in one month. In 30 Which days. is three times the population of the, of the county? Exactly. And, and right now my office is prosecuting over 3,000 for trespass. And so, yeah, that's more than the county population. So this is an invasion. Um, and there's nothing more you can call it. So that's what we hope that, you know, our uh, government officials in Austin can realize and finally come to grips with. And they need to realize we don't have any more time to waste waiting on Biden two years from now, who's replaced by who. We don't have two years. So you're hopeful that the other counties will, will come along and, and support this, uh, th this idea? Oh, yeah, of course. And, you know, if you're a county judge, you know, if, if you want your county to do this, they can reach out to my office or the county judge's office to get a template of it where I've, I've drafted a template where all they have to do is put their in their county's name the judge signs it and then seven days after it gets confirmed by the commissioner's court excellent all right you heard it heard it folks once again george Rodriguez in uh, kenny county and we've just spoken with our good friend mr brent smith howdy once again my friends thank you very very much for joining us today uh, i hope you've enjoyed it more than anything else i hope that you have found it information informational uh, informative should i say and, uh, and and educational. My friends, 
we are, are in a in, in state of invasion. The mainstream media has started a campaign to say that uh, uh, using the phrase or using the word invasion is somehow racist, which is anything but. I mean, let's remember that these are the same folks who are preventing us from using the phrase uh, illegal alien, okay? Because, again, that sounds awful. I mean, the left is trying to control our words so that they can control the discussion, the narrative. We cannot let them do this. This is an invasion. What do you call it? When thousands, thousands of, of uh, foreigners enter your country uninvited, without documents, daily. What do you call it? Anything other than an invasion. And they're not coming, my friends, just to work like in the old days. They're not coming temporarily. They're coming to stay. They are very bold in saying that nowadays, that they're coming to, for, the, for what they think is the American dream, but for nationality, they want to establish socialism. They want to take advantage of our country. They've never worked here, yet they're going to be benefits. They're going to, be, they're going to benefit, should I say, uh, of, the, uh, of, of the welfare system, of the education system of the medical system, healthcare. They've never put anything in it, yet they're going to benefit from it. You tell me, is that fair? Here in San Antonio, the poverty industry is in full swing to help them. San Antonio has uh, established a, a uh, stopping point where they're going to help them out and, uh, and, and provide them assistance as they are distributed into the rest of the country. I mean, it, it, this is the colonization of America, my friends. There's no two ways around it. It is the colonization of America. And uh, the Biden administration has put it on steroids. We need a new government locally as well as nationally. The defense of freedom and liberty, and that's exactly what this is. The defense of freedom and liberty, my friends, starts with your vote at the grassroots, at your poll. You make sure that you get to the polls. You make sure that you take a friend. Because remember, my friends, the other side cheats. <laughs> they cheat. Dead people vote on their side. So once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, thank you for joining us today on El Conservador. Until next week, stay strong, be patriotic. God bless America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.